Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. This is Lesson 9 on Genuine Faith. And just a quick review for those of you that maybe weren't here. Just a few thoughts here. Genuine faith is based on something that you believe that you heard from the Word of God. Either spoken, written, and as we talked about last week, perceived. Paul perceived they shouldn't get on the boat and they shouldn't set sail on the sea of life. But they didn't listen to Paul. They let human reasoning trump and override what Paul said. As a result, they got on the sea of life and what took place? A storm rose up. And their lives were in peril. And really they all would have died had it not been for the Apostle Paul being on that ship. An angel appeared to the Apostle Paul and told him, fear not. It's going to be okay. Everybody will be spared. Everybody will be saved if they listen and stay on the boat. But then when it got to the point to where it was for their survival. And we all are for survival, aren't we? What happened? They wanted to let the the boat down. The dinghy to get down and get away because that's instinctive in all of our lives. You do what you can to save yourself, to spare your life. And that's what they tried to do. But Paul warned them then and said, if you do that, you'll be dead. Look at the decision they had to make. A decision between cutting the ropes and letting the boat go. We talked about how it's not easy. It's very difficult for us to cut the ropes that bind us to logic and reason. And then... Trust God. And when we talk about the sea of life, there are many different things to talk about. Like entering into marriage. That's an important part of our lives. Knowing what the scripture says, embracing it, believing it, and acting upon it, and cutting off those ropes of feeling and emotion, and exalt the word of God above that. And then other areas as well. With our giving, anything, serving, going to church, etc., etc., Well, cutting the rope is not always easy when it comes to feelings and emotions, right? We know that and trusting God, but that's what this life of faith is all about. Now, as we continue our study, look at Mark's gospel, chapter four, verses 23 and 24. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Simple statement, but trust me, there's a lot to that statement. Ears to hear, let them hear. Didn't Isaiah say your ears are dull of hearing? You, you can hear physically, but you won't hear spiritually. Jesus said to them, take heed what you hear. And in another part, he said, take heed how you hear. So take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear, because with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more shall be given. So he's talking about what we hear and how we hear it. And why is he saying that? Because you see, he knew faith comes how? by hearing and hearing by the word of God he knew Romans and what Romans talked about he taught that to Paul how could a man believe if he doesn't hear how can he hear unless someone preaches so it's important to hear someone preach the truth so you can hear the truth so you can believe the truth and so you can act upon the truth and cut off those ropes are we following that can you see how simple that is So we trust God's word above our feelings and emotions and even above reason and logic. And so we hear what God wants us to hear. Now, I have to share with you the direction that I'm going. And I talked about it last week. 
Um, and I want to share with you my inspiration as to why I really feel in my heart the need to do this. I attended a board meeting recently at the school and I was absolutely blown away by what I saw and by what I heard. And what I saw was when we first got there was tremendous disdain for Christians where there's a big sign saying go to another school. Go to Quigley. If you want, you know, your religion and go, go somewhere else. And I thought, wow. Wow. Then in the meeting, hearing a young man go to the microphone who represented many others that were there, basing his belief system on separation of church and state. And I thought, whoa. And then the next thing was someone sitting next to Brother Chuck here in the meeting and saying, haven't they learned from before with this other situation? Of course, she was referring to Mariah Bridges' situation. And Brother Chuck said, well, you know what? If you're referring to that, that's my granddaughter. And I want you to know that she won that case and that they were wrong. And the lady said, what? I never heard that. I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah. What they did was wrong. They violated her constitutional right. She had the right to do what she wanted to do and to say what she wanted to say. But apparently that wasn't communicated to the student body, was it? No one knew that. And so I can give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they didn't know the law from the very beginning. But let me just state it this way. If the superintendent doesn't know the Constitution, if the board doesn't know the Constitution, if the solicitor doesn't know the Constitution, how can the children know anything and throughout that entire summer when we went to the board meetings and I personally stood up and tried to convince them and just say you know that you're not you're believing is off it's wrong what you're hearing is well, I know where you hear it but you're wrong and well they denied that tooth and nail until they found out they were wrong and they issued a letter of an apology to Mariah to let her know that they violated her constitutional right and, and that her rights should have been accepted and, and appreciated now this is part of what's inspired me for this today because it's so important. Let me add one more thing. Because some others, believers, said the church should have nothing to do with politics. And wow, it made me really stop and think. And I'm saying this from a heart. Listen, is what I'm about to say, I'm asking that you have an open heart and an open mind. And listen where it's coming from. A heart of concern for our young people and for our nation, for our families. Okay? This is where this is coming from. And when I heard that and I thought, what do you mean that believers shouldn't have anything to do with our government or politics? Well, you know, that, that goes to that what you hear. It's separation of church and state. People bought it hook, line, and sinker. They fell for it. And people stayed away from it. And that's where the problem lies. So, based on that and based on this video that you're about to see, and one more thing I'll share with you with this video. I want you to see this first. This video really helped me to better serve you. Listen to what it says here. Well, you know, I'm not just going to take his word for it. I'm going to do my own research and find out some of these things. And by the way, that's going to get back soon. It's getting fixed. It'll be here soon. That's the one I kind of look at all the time. I keep looking there and there's nothing there to look at. So. But anyhow, 
So I did some research on my own, and let me change weapons here, if you don't mind, so I can see this better. Um, this I pulled up. I did my own research and study to find out some things about Election Day sermons. Now, I've been in the ministry for 39 years, and everywhere I've gone to and every place I've been, I mean, I have preached along this line somewhat, but have you heard about Election Day sermons? Anybody here before learned about Election Day sermons? A few, just a few have. So let me just, I did my research to see exactly what really took place back then. And listen to this. In Massachusetts in the 18th century, Election Day was a colony-wide holiday. Hmm. It began with cannon firing, military exercises, and usually some form of procession of government officials from the seat of government to a nearby church. The most politically and socially important members of community listened carefully for several hours. In colonial New England, the words of the preacher carried great influence. Now, Election Day sermons followed a typical pattern. First, they asserted that civil government is founded on an agreement between God and citizens to establish political systems that promote the common good. Scripture states that government is necessary, but no system is perfect. Therefore, the voters and the rulers were told that they must do what is needed for God's blessing to be upon the nation. Second, the people were encouraged to promise to follow those that they had elected, and rulers were to promise to act for the good of all. As long as rulers acted in proper character, subjects were to obey. On the other hand, if rulers acted contrary to the terms of the agreement, people were duty-bound to resist. In all civil actions, voters and rulers were charged to promote virtue, suppress vice, and support people of, pr of proven wisdom, integrity, justice, and holiness. Now, the Election Day sermon was not to tell people who to vote for. People get highly offended when you say, are you telling me who to vote for? No, not at all. Not telling you who to vote for, but... What's this, what is designed to do is to explain to voters and also rulers, in other words, the people and the politicians, what a nation must do to experience the blessings of God. Does anybody here want to experience the blessings of God in our nation? Well, that's what the message is all about, to explain to people what a nation must do to experience the blessings of God. So as we look to the scriptures, what kind of nation does God exalt and what kind of nation does God bless? And let me just say one more thing before we look at Psalm 33, verse 12 here. Who created the world? Some of you were uncertain about that. Let me, let me say that one more time. <laughs> Who created the world? It's not a trick question. Who created man? Who established civil government? Who? Then why do people think that we should keep God out of church. God established civil government with a purpose in mind. And we're going to see that. But look at Psalm 33, verse 12. Look at what it says. Blessed is the what? The nation. You mean the Bible talks about your nation? Blessed is the nation whose God is... I don't think he means Buddha... Confucius, I believe he's talking about Jehovah God, the God of the Bible. And remember in our court of law, when you put your hand on a what? And you swore to? 
Why was that established as the higher authority that we swore to in our government arena? So people would tell the truth. Blessed is a God, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he had chosen for his own inheritance. So in other words, if a nation chooses to honor God, his blessing will be upon them. Small example. Didn't he tell Abraham, I will bless those that bless you? So in other words, if a nation chooses to bless Israel, what will happen to that nation? So if a nation chooses not to honor and bless Israel, what will happen to that nation? They won't be honored by God. They won't be blessed by God. God will be limited, in other words, as to what he can do. So apparently the scriptures do talk about your nation and what a nation can do to be blessed. But what about to be exalted? Look at Proverbs chapter uh, 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. What exalts a nation? But sin is a reproach to any people or any society, one verse says. So righteousness then exalts a nation. So look as we put together just these four things about that verse of scripture, these observations. Number one, what is righteousness? It's godly character that promotes moral and ethical conduct and values. That's what it is. So righteousness is what exalts a nation. So if a nation says we are going to be governed by righteousness, that nation will be what? Exalted, which means to elevate and to continue to elevate or continue to be elevated. So when a nation makes a decision that we are going to be governed by righteousness, then God will exalt that nation. And I really believe for all these years, for these 200 and some years that we've been a nation, that God has exalted this nation to be the nation that it is. And I believe it's the nation that it is because God made it great. Who else can do what he did in these 200 and some years? He did it. Why? Because our founding fathers wanted to establish a government based on righteousness and biblical principles. Number three, sin is what? Sin is a reproach. It violates the laws of God. Sin is a violation of the laws of God. But sin is a reproach to every society. So if the nation then disregards the righteous laws of God, what happens to that nation? They're under a reproach. God is disappointed and disapproves of that, is what he's saying. So in other words, for a nation to be blessed, we have to honor God. For a nation to be exalted, then it must be established in what? Righteousness. And so we want our nation to be established in righteousness. Well, God's had, he's got a plan to promote righteousness in the earth. He's always had this plan, but it's up to people to follow that plan. And it's based on institutions. So once again, stay with me. Give me your heart. Give your mind this morning. The first institution that he's used to establish righteousness in the earth is his very throne. This verse is Psalm 89, not 39. So if you have a pen in your hand, make that correction. Very easy one to correct. Just make that three and eight. Psalm 89 and verse 14. Okay. Now listen to the scripture. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. God's throne is one of righteousness. Its foundation is based on righteousness and justice. Mercy and truth stand in front of you. 
So we see here that righteousness begins where? At the throne of God. Look in Hebrews chapter 1. And this is something that's easily overlooked by people. And don't misunderstand me when I say this. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. We absolutely praise God for that emblem of the cross where he died. But notice this. But under the sun, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever not a cross, but a scepter of what? Scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved what? Righteousness and hated what? Or sin. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. When Jesus came to the earth, he brought to the earth heaven. Remember he said, I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, who came from heaven to do the will of God on earth? Jesus. And what did he do? He stood against sin and proclaimed what? Righteousness. And when he was raised up from the dead after dealing with the sin problem, and he was once again reunited with his father on the throne, what happened? He was given a scepter of righteousness in his coronation service. Why? Because he rejected unrighteousness, he rejected sin, and stood for righteousness. And so really, I appreciate that we sometimes wear a cross, and we thank God for the cross where Jesus died, but we know he's not on it. But why have we, some, for some reason, ignored the scepter of righteousness? Wouldn't it be great to sell a scepter of righteousness emblem, symbol? that we can wear. You talk about a conversation piece. I can understand the cross, but why the scepter? Because he dealt with sin and sin's been dealt with. And he arose from the dead victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And sin is no longer an issue because you see we're the righteousness of God in Christ now if you come to him. So the throne is the very first institution that he uses to, to communicate what to people? Righteousness. Number two, what's the second institution that he uses? The home, and oh, this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you ready for the rubber meeting the road here this morning? Let's leave everybody else out of it right now. God is a God whose throne is established in what? Righteousness, right? Okay, the home. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before or between your eyes. Some of the priests used to wear a frontlet with a scripture in it right here, just tied around their, their head in a frontlet right here where they would have the scriptures right here in the front, as a frontlet before their mind. In other words, the righteous laws of God are to be communicated in the home to your children. You see, children don't know right from wrong. And as they grow up in the home, who communicates righteousness to the children? When you tell your child you shouldn't lie, well, why not? Because God said, thou shalt not bear false witness. When you teach your child, thou shalt not kill, what are they learning from you in your home? Righteousness. You shall not commit murder. That's wrong. Well, when you say, thou shalt not commit adultery, why? What's the big deal there? Aren't I an individual? Can I live the way I want to live? 
uh, understand, son, but you know what? The scriptures teach thou shalt not commit adultery because that's the righteous conduct that God communicates from his throne to all of us. So in the home, we have an institution of learning. An institution that trains up children in the way they should go. Proverbs 22, 6. And if you recall the story of Eunice, Eunice or Eunice and Lois, the mother and grandmother of Timothy. Remember that? They passed it down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And that's why Paul understood the truth of God's word and his righteousness. Because it was communicated in the institution called the home. And so that's the second institution. The third institution is the church. The church. The church is to stand for righteousness. The church is to communicate righteousness. It's to teach righteousness. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4 beginning at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. That the knowledge of the Son of God will perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the church is to communicate the righteousness of God. That comes from the throne into the family. And guess what? The church is not to be the primary teacher for your children. Do you realize that? It's the home. And it starts with the mom and dad that honor God in righteousness and communicate that to their children. So the children then when they go to church, guess what? That's what my mom and dad told me. Oh man. I went home. I can, you know mom, teacher so and so said the same thing that you said to me. What was that, honey? I shouldn't steal. And then I shouldn't tell a lie. Oh, I'm so glad that you learned that. And what's adultery? We'll skip that one. Let's wait till you're a little bit older. So you see, it came from the throne. It goes to the home. It's confirmed in the church, right? Are you following me? Okay. And then, wait, wait a minute. What's the fourth institution where God communicates righteousness? The government. Look at Romans. Look in the book. Of, well, Romans chapter, this is the two different translations, so I want you to see them. Romans chapter 13. Be a good citizen. Is that in the Bible? All governments are under God. In so far as there is peace and order. It's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state. Then you're irresponsible with God. And God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen and you'll get on just fine. The government working to your advantage. But if you're breaking the rules, right and left, watch out. The police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms. I thought that was cute. 
God also has an interest in keeping order and he uses them to do it. That's why you must live responsibly. Not just to avoid punishment but also because it's the right way to live. So if a citizen is to submit itself to the authority of the government then the government is to submit itself to the authority of God. Alright, look at the next translation. God's word translation. Every person should obey the government in power. No government would exist if it hadn't been established by God. The governments which exist have been put in place by God. Well then how does God have nothing to do with government? Therefore whoever resists the government opposes what God has established. Those who resist will bring punishment on themselves. People who do what is right don't have, don't have to be afraid of the government. But people who do what is wrong should be afraid of it. Would you like to live without being afraid of the government? Then do what is right and it will praise you. The government is God's servant. Whose servant? Hmm. Working for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. The government has the right to carry out the death sentence. It is God's servant, an avenger to execute God's anger on anyone who does what is wrong. Therefore, it is necessary for you to obey, not only because you're afraid of God's anger, but also because of your conscience. Anything that you can see here that would convince anyone that God has nothing to do with government? It's not a trick question. Why is it so quiet? Do you see the four institutions? Are they communicated in scripture? Okay. Let's move on. The pattern for righteousness is also found in the scriptures. And here they are. Number one. Righteousness is revealed in God's word. We wouldn't know what righteousness means or what it is if it was not for the word of God. Look at uh, Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is what? The righteousness of God is what? It's revealed. How? You see we're talking about genuine faith. Our faith to be genuine must be faith in the righteousness of God. For it's written, the just shall live, shall live, how? By faith. So God communicates his righteousness from the throne into the home, in the church, and then to the government to communicate by making laws that are established under God, the Ten Commandments, as well as other commandments. There's over 300 and some in, in the Bible. But anyhow, so that's communicated to the people, the civil people that live upon the earth, the people. And it's revealed to us in scripture. So God's righteousness, just the fact that he is, a, is righteous himself, God is righteous, is communicated from faith to faith. You know what that means from faith to faith? Just take one of those 10 commandments. I've got to have faith and have no other gods before me. I believe, you believe that scripture? Guess what? I can have faith then not to have any other gods before me. No, I have no other gods, no images. No images, number two, no images mm -mm, of any false god. And I've got faith to believe that I have nothing to do with them. And then what about this? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. I got faith not to do that. 
I know that it's wrong. It's not righteous. It's not the righteous thing to do. It's not the right thing uh, to use our tongues for. Is, and why do I have that? Because that's the righteous way to live by faith. And then remember the Sabbath day to do what? Keep it holy. That's revealed to me in scripture. And that's how I learned it. But that's from faith to faith. Then I've got faith to honor my parents and the Lord for this is right. Are you, are you following this? Okay, so it's important that I understand that my faith comes from God and not from myself or even anyone else. It comes from what the Bible teaches. And so from faith to faith, I have the revelation of God's righteousness. But number two, we see this. It's known through God's word as well. Look at 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verses 14 through 16. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everybody say all scripture. All scripture. It doesn't say all scriptures except the ones I want to leave out. <laughs> and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in what? righteousness that's what it's given for now I know righteousness and now I'm instructed in righteousness what is right and what is wrong so if we're to live right my living right is not based on what I think or what I feel but what's it based on these are not hard questions it's based on what God said is right or wrong can you say amen to that so if he says it's wrong it's wrong has nothing to do with how I feel or how I think. So is it wrong to steal? How do you know? <laughs> when you were about 10 years old and you took a pack of gum from the drugstore, did you feel good about it? <laughs> Until your dad found out, then righteousness prevailed. <laughs> It's experience number three through Jesus Christ. Righteousness is experienced. You know what? You and I were not schooled in righteousness. We weren't developed in righteousness. When you got saved, you think about it. Your flesh wanted to go down its own path, did it not? It wanted to do its own thing, did it not? Everyone's flesh is the same way, including Paul who said, I got to beat mine up daily. It always wants to go down the wrong path. Didn't he say that? Okay. So number three, notice this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is how we experience righteousness. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the what? The righteousness of God in Christ. Listen to this. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is comes, he will do what? What's he going to do for us? He is the one that convinces us or convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin was dealt with by Jesus Christ. He came so that righteousness can be imparted to every single one of us. And that one day judgment will come and fall upon those who have accepted their sins forgiven in Christ or rejected Christ. And guess what? They'll be judged for their sin. So the Holy Ghost comes and what does he do? On the inside of us when we're established in righteousness because we've accepted Christ and we become the, what's that verse say? Chapter 5, verse 21, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. He made it to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we would be made. 
Now we've been made righteous. We don't just know about it. We just didn't learn about it. We've been made righteous on the inside. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. Which is why you've got conviction in your soul, in your spirit, when you do something wrong. Aren't you glad you got that built-in indicator? You don't need mom and dad to say, uh-uh. You got the Holy Ghost on the inside saying, no. Aren't you glad for that? Awareness of the Spirit. And listen, if that wanes in our lives, that means our conscience is becoming seared. Listen, if it doesn't bother us to sin anymore, the conscience is seared. Get back under the blood. Invite the Holy Ghost. Look at the next one. It's promoted by God's people. Number four. It's promoted by God's people. Look at the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5. Now look at 18 through 20. In all things that he reconciled, he reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ. And he's given unto us the ministry. You're in the ministry. I'm in the ministry of what? Reconciliation. To wit or make it known that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. And then that last verse says. He made him to be sin for us. So that we'd be made righteous. We're to let everybody out there in the world know. You don't have to die in your sin. You do not have to die in your sin. There's nothing you have to do to get out of your sin. Because you can't do it. But if you will accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. He will come into your heart and remove sin and make you righteous. And then that righteousness on the inside will be your safe travel guide through the highway of life. And when you set sail on the sea of life. You'll have a built in indicator to let you know what is right. And let you know what is wrong. Now finally. And this will bring us to a closing. The practice of righteousness. Now think about this. We're, we're talking about in the 1800s, at ni- early 1900s. We're talking about politicians that would leave their government office. They would go down in a parade to the local church. And they would sit and listen. I don't know if you got that. I think some of you let that go right off the top of your head. The preachers preach for hours. <laughs> Not an hour. <laughs> hours because they believed they had something to say from the word of God that would help them direct the nation so how is God out of government then he wasn't no but what's been lost over these years and remember it doesn't take much except one step at a time remember Timothy said in 1st Timothy chapter 4 some will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devils depart the word depart means little by little one little step at a time one little step at a time guess what to get people to the place that they think that right is wrong and wrong is right we don't know what's right and wrong only God does we can set the standard for what's right and wrong only God can is that not true if he made us he has the right to govern us And he has laws by which we're to be governed. And who are we to say, I'm going to make a new law. I'm going to write my own Ten Commandments. Number one, if it feels good, do it. Law number two, and go on from there. Oh, anyhow. I don't have a right to do that, do I? But you would think in our even Christian society today that 
that thinking has really emerged in the lives of a lot of people. I mean that. You know, whether it's like even living together without being married. And, and that sort of thing. There's not even any consciousness of it anymore. And if you say from the pulpit, it's like you're condemning me. It's not what the Bible says. Huh? What's the Bible teach? Let's look at this. Those who, this is addressing two, two groups. Those who rule and those who are ruled. Those who rule, number one, A, develop righteousness as their political platform. That's what they're supposed to do. Why? Because they're servants of God. They are serving him and carrying out his will on the earth. Establishing righteousness in the society. Now, are all governments following this? Absolutely not. There are dictatorships that are out there that if you make a wrong move, you're dead. If you violate the word of a king, you die. Isn't that true? Would you want to live in that kind of a society? We live in a free society and we have the right to choose. But for the most part, it's our responsibility to see to it that our leaders that lead us develop righteousness as their political platform. Number two, determine righteousness as the basis of all legislation. So in other words, what's God's thought on this? What does God think about this? What's God think about that? These are the laws that are to govern our land and govern, govern human life. I mean, thank God that we have a force that's out there that will help deter evil. That's wonderful. But we need to know what the laws are. Look at the number. next one. Support God-given unchangeable realities. The sanctity of life, the sanctity of the family, and the expression of God in public places. Remember, he says, have no false gods before me. In other words, it's, it's my righteousness, it's my laws, it's my commandments, it's the government that I established to carry out my will on the earth. And when it comes to the governed, and that's you and me, the people. It's our responsibility to cooperate with these leaders and representatives of ours by doing what? Establishing righteousness in our own lives. Righteousness in the home. Imagine if every home was established in righteousness. Imagine if every child grew up understanding right from wrong based on the word of God. Can you imagine what it would be like then as they grow up and enter into the workforce and become political leaders and they establish laws based on God's righteousness? There wouldn't be a problem in our society that we live in. But that's not the case. And so when righteous people practice, among, uh, practice righteousness among their, in their lives and elect those that are practicing righteousness, the people rejoice. Look at uh, that verse again that he used. But look at Proverbs 29 verse 2. When we practice personal righteousness. And when we see to it that our government officials and leaders. Also are committed to righteousness and righteous acts. When the righteous are in authority. The people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule. What happens? The people mourn. How many of you remember in Exodus. Just before God raised up Moses. To deliver the people from Egyptian bondage. How many remember the cry that went up to God? What was the cry? They were mourning. They were mourning because they were under the oppression of a, of a tyranny government. Where they were dictated to and they were slaves. And they got to the point that they finally began to cry out to God. And God raised up a leader by the name of Moses. And Moses brought them out. 
with the intent of taking them into a promised land. You ready for this? Where he, he would be their leader. He would be their king. They would be under his leadership and under his rule. Now, in closing, look at the book of Isaiah chapter 9 because you see, this is not just a Christmas thing. Are you ready for it? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And what's the first thing that's said about him? The what? I thought God's not involved in government. The what? Shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called wonderful counselor because there's not too many around. <laughs> the mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Now notice. Of the increase of his what? There shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and, uh, and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You realize that Jesus one day is going to rule as the Prince of Peace on this earth? And do you realize all governments will bow to his authority and rewrite their constitutions? Did you know that? Think about that. Now, you got your seatbelt on? You got your seatbelt on? Because you're going to learn something here right now. Look at the next verse. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Any saints with me here today? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Look at the next one. Know you not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Wow. Guess what? I'm not criticizing anybody here. I'm criticizing me. It's time to roll up my sleeves and get back and just say, okay, righteousness comes from your throne, Father. I want that righteousness to be communicated in and through my life, in my home, in my family. And as a pastor, I want to communicate that righteousness to the people that you've made me to be the overseer of so that they can hear what you want done so that the government then would be based on godly principles for the promotion of your righteousness in the earth. Because I know that if I don't know that, I'm going to have to get, take a quick lesson up there in glory so I can learn how to be a righteous judge. If I'm going to be judging the world, I'm going to be judging angels, I've got to be educated. Do you think he's going to, in any way, have us judge apart from what this word says? Mm-mm. It's right there. So think about it. Let's put ourselves in that position. Am I living my life 
in righteousness based on his rules, his laws, his principles, his righteousness? Am I communicating that to my family? Putting my spouse first and then my children and creating this atmosphere? You see, there's, a, there's an old proverb that says, too soon we grow old, too late we get wise. Wouldn't you love just to go back in time, kind of rewind and go back and do a lot of things over again? Wouldn't you? Absolutely. Because it would make a tremendous difference, wouldn't it? But you know what? But it's never too late when you know Jesus. Lord, just forgive me. But you know what? Be an example now. You heard me say, uh, just for example, um, Ruth's sister Josephine goes through the the uh, phone book, which are extinct basically today. And she's calling from A, every per. I wonder how far she got. And she's calling, starting with all the A's, all the way through the, the alphabet, people on the phone that she does not know. And she says to them, I just called to let you know that Jesus loves you and he wants you to be with him in heaven. Someone says, why can't we? We can't witness? That's a simple thing to do. But who have thought of it? Would you have thought of that? Mm -mm. But what a wonderful person of faith. Amen. All right. Let's close with this last video. And just once again, let it sink into your heart. I'm not telling you who to vote for at all. But I believe I'm doing my duty to share with you what we as believers should be voting for. And that's called righteousness. So find out what your candidate believes. And if it's a righteous thing, vote for him. Amen. It's not about a political party. It's not about a person. It's not about a gender. It's not about a race. It's about righteousness. Let's watch this and we'll close. You know, Paul said this. And praise and worship team, come up here. We're going to close. Paul said this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in society today, just many have just, you know, violate all this and they're not concerned about it at all. But, you know, I'm not ashamed to communicate it to you. These are God's laws. I can't change them. You shouldn't change them. Our government shouldn't change them. If anything, we should embrace them and we should proclaim them and declare them. And then guess what? We should live by them. Let's all stand together.